Welcome to Screen Talk, IndieWire's weekly podcast. I'm Eric Cohn, the Deputy Editor-in-Chief Critic, joined as always by Ann Thompson, our Editor-at-Large. And Ann, we've got so much to dig through now because the fall season is no longer a hypothetical. We had on Tuesday the Toronto first set of announcements from the Toronto International Film Festival, kind of the bigger, higher-profile gala stuff. The next day, bright and early, the Venice announcement. So we have slates and slates <laughs> that we can actually anticipate and, and screening times and stuff. And, you know, there was a lot of stuff on there that I think we expected to see, but it nevertheless gives us something firm to talk about. So let's get into it. We got we got Roma, we got First Man, we got Stars Born. What, what really stood out to you from the first set of announcements here? Well, those are always, um, I mean, I'm obvious things through uh, the Oscar prism. So I'm reading the tea leaves and I'm looking at all the, it's a relatively small handful of movies. I mean, for example, to me, it was very telling that the favorite is the opening night movie in New York, even though it will have already shown in Venice and Toronto and will go on to, to uh, you know, then go on to New York and be opening night. Usually they save that as a world premiere and that's a sign uh, that they didn't have too many options. Roma is playing all four festivals, apparently. I mean, we're not allowed to say what we know for sure about Telluride, but the truth is everybody's telling everybody. Hide that secret, yeah. And they're just gonna have to live, live with it. I got a list from one of the distributors with their Telluride, you know, exactly. long list of all the films that are gonna be there. And it was the same as mine. And I said, Yeah, that's what I got too. You know? Yeah, I, I was I was thinking about that because if you can hit all four of those, it definitely signals a kind of endorsement that just getting into one doesn't necessarily, which isn't to say that say Barry Jenkins, if Beale Street could talk, or Stephen McQueen's Widows, which are Toronto listed at, as world premieres, which means they're not going to tell you right. It doesn't mean that they're not necessarily good movies, but it is a, going to be a different context for talking about them because that Telluride bump that leads in, or it sort of you know happens at, in some cases at the same time as Venice, and then leads into Toronto is sort of, and then with New York is like the most maximum visibility you could possibly ask for. Yes, but, I thought but that visibility comes with a price. And what I figured out talking to some of the, um, uh, the there are people behind the scenes maneuvering who are sort of well-regarded, you know, people like Lisa Tabak or Cynthia Schwartz, um, and her strategy PR team, you know, these people, and Lisa Tabak has gone over to Netflix full time to work only on Netflix. These people work with the marketing and publicity teams to figure out what, what's the best placement for this particular film. What's going to come, it's going to, what's going to position it the right way. They get into the weeds really early. And what I figured out this time is that Telluride has become a little bit like can where people are afraid to take a movie there that might not be as strong and obvious an Oscar contender or could be come out negatively with the the uh, sort of crucible of critics and Oscar um, pundits that are going to be looking at everything very carefully. And it used to be people were clamoring to get into Telluride, and now they're a little afraid of it. Well, it's interesting. And I'm wondering if that's what happened with if Beale Street could talk, because oh, no. they wanted that opening weekend in Toronto more 
than they want to tell you. I think you, if you go to Telluride and you don't have Toronto, that's a problem. If you go to Telluride and you don't have opening weekend at Toronto, it could be a problem too. You can't you can't have opening weekend exactly. in Toronto. So 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 I think in the case of a that's movie how like Toronto this, works. There, now. there was a workaround with Moonlight, right? The the policy with Toronto about not playing in Telluride. Uh, means you can't have the opening weekend and thus less visibility. That was instituted when Moonlight actually played Telluride and then played opening. 12, 12 Years a Slave. Yeah, 12 Years a Slave was what created all the drama. That's what created but, the problem. But Moonlight got around it because it was in the platform section and, and certain, the rules didn't apply. It kind of, it, it managed to get a bump from both. So the platform section is, is, is the, well, I thought platform was designed for movies that were looking for distribution. Well, platform, no, not really. I mean, a lot of the films are. Because Moonlight had it, it if it, it was in there. Of, um, it's for filmmakers, for the most part, they want to sort of put their stamp of approval on in a way, and in some ways, maybe one or two or three films in it's not a lot of debuts it's usually but it's not it's not a lot of veterans either it's but it is a lot of movies for sale yeah a lot of the acquisitions titles go there but in the case of something like moonlight they put it there and it was like it was like a stamp approval like they really wanted to elevate this movie in in a section that was very tightly curated and it and it ended up getting both telluride and the opening weekend boost beale street could not have that but that movie needs the Toronto boost. That's very clear. And we don't even know. And I think that will play New York. Yeah, we don't know so. yet. I mean, that, that, well, that's the thing. Those from what I understand, movies. that will play New York. Yeah, I think Telluride remains valuable for films that play to the audiences at Telluride. And yes, but I was concerned to hear that there were certain films that are not going to be in Telluride. Now, we don't know if that's because they weren't accepted or turned down or whatever. But I got the sense this year for the first time, this is the first time I've ever heard this, that people were not taking films there deliberately because they wanted an, an easier, softer landing, if you like, in Venice, Toronto. Yeah, and, I think and, uh, it makes sense. You know, if, if the movie is definitely going to be a big slam dunk or if it's definitely going to be a big slam dunk with Telluride audiences I could see that but if it's a they didn't take it was interesting that they didn't take uh, Star is Born to Telluride yeah I mean if that, if that's really true that's that's a big one because I mean, this but is they not my want... kind of movie but it feels like a Telluride kind of movie that's not your kind you of movie you know it's I mean, I've watched that trailer oh, God, you are so prejudging that I mean Bradley I was, Cooper it could, could be I mean, well, I, was the was the original Judy Garland movie with James Mason? No, I, Not the original. That's the second one. But is the Janet Gaynor was the original? But I, did I, that I, one float your boat? It's not my favorite kind of movie. It's just not it's because not it's a romance. Movie. Because it's a musical. What? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's just not just a, because a, it's a, quote a romantic musical. I'm not super responsive to those actors. I mean, I, I I will see it, and if it's a good movie, you've never seen Lady Gaga be an actor. Oh, well, I've seen American Horror Story, if that counts as acting. But uh, yeah, so <laughs> I, I, I'm a little. Familiar. Let's hope she's well cast in this one. It seems like she is. Yeah, no. Look, really the movie, look, it, movie could be could be very strong. The way people are reacting to it. So, so the t- not having the telly right on that that could be pretty extreme. But if Roma and and what are we hearing about First Man going there? That could be pretty significant for those two. I mean, well, those two are ups, absolutely up there. And and again, uh, I would say at the head of the pack, along with the favorite. And the reason I made such a fuss about the favorite was just that why it, it was just such a, an endorsement for New York 
to put it in opening night. And also, I'm I've spoken to people who've seen it, and and it, uh, the trailer is just delicious. And it's our buddy Yorgos Lanthimos, yep. although he didn't write the script. I hear it is dark, and I hear it is cutting edge. You know, not nasty, but but in a very entertaining. Uh, salacious kind of way and and just um it looks gorgeous look at the costumes and the cinematography it looks and like all a that cool stuff. movie because it could be a kind of a crossover thing i mean your ghost yeah. you know the i was a big and it's searchlight back to you know dog tooth which was his second film and um have it's it, the, you're asking like what what is my kind of movie well i'm more of a yorgos lanthimos guy than a bradley cooper guy <laughs> this is okay. not news it, to people who listen to this podcast reality, but, but, I, but my read on the favorite is this is going to be a really fun movie it's kind of yes. like a nasty fun period drama yes. of sorts or, or dramedy of sorts new york film festival obviously i mean you made a judgment i think off of some good intel about this movie maybe having a lot of serious awards season traction, but New York Film Festival, you know, is curated by people with kind of a, a highbrow critical sensibility. So when I say not always opening night, yeah, no, let's yeah, that's, not that's forget true. they put uh, the walk in on opening right. night. But, right? I, but I would su suggest to you that maybe that was seen as a miscalculation to have the walk, and, to, and, the, and that there is maybe a an impulse for a festival like this to actually try to have a movie that people are going to genuinely. Yes, love. they made that call. And I believe they, they did make that call. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we're looking and first man, you know, looks really good. Also, that's a universal film with Damien Chazelle and Ryan Gosling is Neil Armstrong. And from what I heard about it, and you, uh, you, you spoke to uh, Cameron Bailey about it uh, at Toronto. It sounds like it, it's it's actually um, intimate and uh, epic at the same time. Yeah, it shouldn't be a surprise. surprise. Yeah. I mean, it's a mystery movie. Yeah, I mean, it, it's not Apollo thirteen. It's not a it's not a survival movie because Neil. It's not like the the mission to the moon went terribly awry or something like that. I think it's it's the the story of Neil Armstrong and, and the kind of cultural relevance of it is is so interesting right now because you know this was a guy who wasn't looking to be a huge celebrity and he became something even more than that and just my feeling about the movie is that it's probably dipping into that kind of struggle that he went through while also giving us you know the real kind of uh, next level experience of traveling into space and getting onto the moon so if the if the effects deliver on par with that narrative side of things, you know, and we're a year out from the 50th anniversary of when this stuff actually happened, it really could be a movie of the moment in a way that uh, it seems like it, a lot of people will want to be talking about. And that feels very commercial to me. I'm so curious about Roma. There's so much speculation about Roma. The buzz is good. Everybody loves Quaron, and yet we know so little about this movie. Well, it's autobiographical. It's set in the 70s in Mexico City where he grew up. It's very much inspired by his family. It's um and it's it's the movie that he talked to Zach Sharf on our staff. Gave us our gave IndieWire his first interview before anyone has seen the movie. And and I'm I I can't wait. I mean, he shot it himself because Chivo Lebeski wasn't available and he shot it on an Alexa, so it's 60 millimeter Ari Alexa, then, you know, it's a question of how we're going to watch it. And it's in Dolby Atmos. And apparently the sound is very uh, important. I can't wait to see this. Yeah, I know. I mean, it's it's just, it, 
The thing about Quaron that's so fascinating is that he's gone through so many different modes as a filmmaker, and it's been a while since he's done something that is very precisely kind of character driven and, and tight, you know, in a way that that isn't trying to, you know, explore new boundaries with film language. And yet, because he's done some done this on sixty five millimeter, which it, you know, it's like, why would you shoot? an intimate personal story in 65 millimeter and black, you know, we don't know, but it, it feels like maybe that he's, he's searching for a middle ground here between the kind of more elaborate experiments he's done and some of the, the earlier films that are more character driven. And that, that's, well, he talked about picking up the camera and, and being on the set, you know, in interacting with the, you know, he's doing a sort of Steven Soderbergh kind of thing. He couldn't find a, another di director of photography that was, you know, would make him happy uh, among the ones that were uh, in, on his list. They weren't available. So he did it himself. And I'm, I'm very curious to see what that comes out like too. So, so the movie that I, I among the Toronto films that are not uh, that don't seem to be going elsewhere, it's listed as a Toronto world premiere that I'm really, really looking forward to, even if it's not an award season film, is Widows, because Steve McQueen is just such a great filmmaker in my mind. The premise of this movie is so great. The the ensemble cast is, is it just looks like it's really going to deliver in a way that makes me excited. And my hope is that. You know, if this movie is kind of a commercial movie, but it's a Steve McQueen commercial movie, maybe that'll give it a little bit of fall season buzz too. I mean, it's not like we're looking like at an incredibly competitive best picture field here, are we? At least, no, yeah. I mean they're taking their Fox is taking that movie to festivals because it's Steve McQueen, and and they'll ele elevate it a bit. Um, I think they're also taking uh, the Hate You Give um, from George Tillman, which I've seen and can say I understand why they're taking it to festivals. Um, it's with Amanda Stenberg, um, who's who is in Hunger, uh, the Hunger Games. She's it's very um, um, it's a question of using the festivals to to take this you know. Take a movie, give it a little extra uh, cred. But just judging from the materials on Widows, I can't imagine um, that it's a, a an Oscar movie. Honestly, I can't wait to see the movie. I mean, that, that's what this is all about. Eric, you and I will be in Telluride with our, you know, just eager, eager, and in Toronto to see these films and find out, you know, what we've got. Until you see them, you don't know. No, I know. I, I honestly, sometimes I don't even care. Like to, for me, it's with You're, the Oscars are not what you well, care about. Is, I care about them when they elevate movies. I also think that they're, you know, as much as, you know, you, you talk to voters really intensely throughout the season, things can happen in very surprising ways. And movies that are, are just uniformly beloved can sometimes pick up a lot of traction. And that's kind of something worth looking into. Also, it's like, what is a movie that's going to come along? Maybe it's Roma. Maybe it is First Man. I don't know. I mean, there could be something that we're not quite paying enough attention to yet that's just everybody's really on board with it, and maybe it could be commercial. I mean, you look at something like, say, this Melissa McCarthy movie. I was just um, going to bring that up. That's a perfect example we know it's um, a comedy of a movie part. that's at Searchlight, which is a good thing, and and it's a, the typical scenario of the comedian turning into a dramatic actress, right. and it's Nicole Hollow Center writing the script. Yeah, so it's called um, Can You Ever Forgive Me? And it's, um, it's uh, Muriel Heller's new film, After Diary of a Teenage Girl, 
which I loved. Yeah, and 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 what's interesting about it is it really. Although she story. wrote that, and it was a labor of love over many, many, many years, a personal film. Right. This is not a personal film. It's a story, but it's a, a real life story. Lee Israel. She was a celebrity biographer. She forged all these letters from actors and writers before she got busted, and just it just seems like a really cool story and and the kind of thing that a lot of people will be talking about and could be commercial maybe not you know it's like widows has like bite but this movie ha might have a little bit more heart to it in a way but also is could be a little nasty and you know i, I haven't seen it but that's like that's that kind of film where it's like we're not talking about it a ton right now but there is some real potential in that respect but uh, it's really hard to tell. But that's, that's the kind of movie where you really can't tell. It's sort of like Widows in a way. It's a, it's a tweener. You can't tell from the materials. You know that Searchlight is pushing it and they're going to do what they can for a big star like McCarthy. But you, don't, you can't tell where the tone lies. You know, where, where is it, how much is comedy? How much is drama? You know, and Nicole Hall of Center, um, you know, is, is not to be dismissed. And I'm always hoping that she will finally land um, an Oscar nomination. Yeah, she has been sort of ignored for you know decades now in so many different ways. I thought Please Please Give was was one you thought would cross over, and then of course Top said was was right. strange. She has she has her own um, uh, movie coming up uh, as well, which uh, I think is from Netflix. And That's so that brings up you know the whole issue of of you know who releases, it's called The Land of Steady Habits, who, and it's a serious movie set in Connecticut with Ben Mendelsohn. So I'm sort of, he's a, he's a guy who decides to uh, ditch his, his suburban life and find out what it's like to do whatever he wants and doesn't quite know what to do, do with himself. Um, and I can't wait to see that. But again, if, you know, searchlight is one thing. Steady as they go, even you know, as the Disney merger has just been approved by the Disney Fox merger, but we're assuming they're going to be fine over there. At uh, it is nice to see so many different kinds of changes with open questions for these companies because it means that there's so many possibilities. It's not like a surefire bet that you know these you know the studios are going to run the show this season. Well, they haven't they been be for a while. It's yeah, usually it's really the subsidiaries. But um, what about what about Amazon? I mean, we're we don't they have a very good lineup oh, and we don't know who's going to be running that show. They got rid of this guy Jason yeah. Rappel. Yeah, it's true. It's I mean, it's and and so Ted Hope and someone else are, are temporarily running it right now. I mean, the movies are done, so they're going to go into award season. Presumably they're going to spend on these campaigns and, and all that stuff is just going to happen as usual. I mean, I think it would be strange even at this stage for the company to, you know, pull back on doing campaigns for the movies that they actually have. So you could, you could, it's probably safe to assume that nothing's going to change overnight there in that respect. But I guess it's a real question for some of the things that they have in development. Right. It'll be a question of what their future uh, direction, theatrical uh, model, you know, all of those questions are on the table right now. But they've got they've got so, Peter Liu from Mike Lee, which I can't wait to see, and and uh, uh, I think I think that it will be fun to 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 finally check that out. People thought it would go to Cam, but um, apparently Terry didn't want it. <laughs> yeah, it's a, there was there were a bunch of questions about that one and, and whether it was was it because it didn't have enough stars? Was it because some people thought it was boring? Which sounds very strange to me. And uh, we'll never know the whole story with a lot of those things. And of course, there's also 
um, the possibility of that they were trying to get a different British film into competition, but couldn't, and that was the Paul Greengrass film, but that was a Netflix movie. Which so the now that's a 22 film. July from Norway, which is probably a smart I agree. Decision I agree. Norway. And it's also that one I'm I'm hearing is is uh, is a tough sit, you know, violent, very a terrorism yeah. movie. I mean, there was another movie about this in the Berlin Film Festival competition this year. The name escapes me, but I heard that that one was was really tough to sit through and has yet to secure, I, I think, a U.S. release plan, although it did get picked up by somebody smallish. So if that one was a tough one, this one by Paul Greengrass, you can assume is probably going to be even more challenging, but it's got Netflix behind it, so people are going to see it all over the world no matter what, even if it's a tough sell for, you know, a theatrical possibility, which is going to be pretty minor if it happens and an awards play. But, you know, speaking of Netflix, the other interesting story that came out of this week's announcements was this Coen Brothers movie, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. So this is, this is a real open question. I've been looking at this and I've been talking to people about it. And I think, I think there's more to this story because the release went out and it called it an anthology project, but it didn't, Never, never called it a series, and it was developed by Annapurna's TV division, but uh, the Coen brothers themselves, in their statement, never called it a series. And I got, I got the sense that maybe at some point in time, this was a movie that became a series and then was pulled back into being a movie, because even when you talk to programmers who have been considering it, they were sort of confused about what they were being pitched on. Like, is it, is it a series or is it a movie? And, and, and How long is it? It seems to be over a little over two hours. Wow. That's an anthology kind of a project. And the thing is, if it's a chapter-based movie that it, that's basically a bunch of little vignettes or whatever, it may be, you know, kind of feeling episodic anyway. And The so question I have is what did, what did they shoot versus what they ended up with in the yeah. editing room? Yeah. It may have been the sort of situation where uh, they – Shoot, they chose not to shoot enough to turn it into a series because one of the Coen brothers been doing TV stuff. You know, they, they have not, you know, Fargo was almost a TV series decades ago before its current version, but they have not embraced that possibility. And that's part of the reason why it was so surprising, even more than the fact they were working with Netflix, which whatever, a lot of filmmakers are doing that now, was the idea that they would be doing a series. So, you know, this is it's in, in retrospect less surprising that they would be sort of returning to their natural mode. It's just a question of when did this happen? Yeah, that'll be fun to dig into. And and the movie, you know, people forget the Coen brothers are not always a slam dunk award season kind of a uh, pair. The movie might be really good or it might just be one, you know, they, sometimes they do these things that are that are just kind of, you know, wacky and, and i would say anthology not good for oscar season you know but awesome. we right. don't know we need again we need to see we need to see so there there were the, some other films in the venice lineup that i was really excited about because i have no idea if they're going to have award season prospects but you have stuff like jennifer kent's nightingale which is also unfortunately the only woman directed uh film in competition which there has raised That's, a lot of eyebrows as well yeah. it should yeah, but but there uh, but are I, other I, women's films in other sections. Yeah, it's it, it's inexcusable. But I am really looking forward to this movie. It's her first since the Babadook, you know, and she's just one of one of the great 
filmmakers with a lot of potential working right now. And it just looks like a really beautiful, disturbing piece of filmmaking. But I would agree with you that, that this situation where festivals in Europe seem to claim that it's not their fault because they're only looking for movies is uh, ignoring the nature of this process. Like, Well, and I hate to say it, but this is making Terry Grimaud look relatively good. At least he had three. <laughs> it's terrible. It's a yeah. question of what they're willing to um, confer credibility and dignity upon. If they're saying that they're, that, that they're not seeing enough women-directed movies, and they're obviously not looking hard enough. No, there's plenty of them. The there's plenty of them. That's not the issue. The issue is whether they see them as worthy of competition status. Yeah. I also think at the end of the day that if, if your programming committee is not diverse enough, and if you don't have people on both sides of this equation in the industry who are making the movies and at the festivals being proactive about having conversations along these lines, then they tend to fall by the wayside. Like there's, no, there, there's no pipeline to ensure that this doesn't happen at Venice and, they, and Venice seems to be operating in its own little... And they're world. not transparent about it. And, and it's also a question of, as, as, we, as was raised at Cannes, how many women programmers there are. You know, that just makes a big difference. So I'm also excited to see Vox Lux. That's Brady Corbet's movie. Um, he's uh, kind of associated with the borderline films guys. You did Martha, Marcy, May, Marlene, if you remember that, that kind of yep. stuff. Or yep. Killer. Uh, he played the the lead of Simon Killer. It's his second feature, but it, it stars Natalie Portman. Originally, it was going to be Rooney Mara, and now it's Natalie Portman. So it's, I think it worked out pretty well for him. But I've just, I've been hearing about this project for a really long time, and um, it it just sounds extraordinary. It's about a pop star, and I think it's it just seems like the kind of thing maybe the more of a kind of musical I'd be excited about than Star Is Born. But I don't know. We'll we'll, we'll see we'll see if it's if it's on that level. And then you also have stuff like Rick Albertson's The Mountain, which is definitely not an awards movie, but this is a guy who makes like kind of cringe comedies, like like the comedy and, and entertainment that they're sort of about really kind of difficult characters. But The Mountain stars Jeff Goldblum as this guy who performs lobotomies. And I think it's a period piece of sorts. And it just sounds really wild and bizarre. Goldblum, of course, is as popular as ever in a weird kind of a way. So that, that'll be a fun one to talk about. And then finally, I, I also want to single out a new film from Carlos Regatas called Our Time, Nuestro Tiempo. Now, you remember him from Silent Light and Post Tenebrous yeah. Lux. Mexican. One of the more interesting yeah, yeah. directors in Mexico right now. And Roma may be the big Mexican film to talk about this fall, but I think for a lot of cinephiles, this one's going to be part of the, the conversation as well. Let me ask you what your reaction has been to White Boy Rick. I'm just curious, because Jan Demange is a filmmaker I've been following. I loved 71, and yeah. I'm expecting to see this at, at Telluride. And the trailer looks wild with Matthew McConaughey and a new guy named Richie Merritt and a father-son crazy story based in a real story, um, which looks a lot like The Fighter. I, I'm, it's one of those movies that could go very well or very badly, if you know what yeah. I mean. Yeah, and it's been a while since 71. I loved 71. He's obviously a really talented director. It's really hard to get a read on this one because it's not, you know, the story of a, of a young FBI informant who, you know, wound up going to prison for years for stealing cocaine or whatever after the FBI kind of like put him in that world to be an informant. It's 
it's like kind of interesting, but it also kind of feels like a story that we've seen in various ways before. And with all this big cast and stuff, it, it doesn't necessarily guarantee much of anything at all. Sometimes when you have somebody like this, like Jan Demand was sort of like this amazing filmmaker right out of the gate. His first feature is like a big wartime thriller to jump into doing a studio movie that's not quite the same sort of material. It doesn't necessarily guarantee success, but I'm, I'm certainly looking forward to it on the basis of 71 alone. It's just really hard to tell. I, I wouldn't put it on the top of the list of anticipated titles until we start to get a little bit more intel on that one. So really open-ended. But there, there's a lot of stuff like that. It's really, it's, 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 it's kind of fascinating to think about, you know, what, what might kind of creep into the conversation more. We haven't even talked about Beautiful Boys. I was going to bring that up. That's one of the Amazon titles, and it looks really strong, and it certainly looks like it would have acting uh, potential for Steve Carell. Yeah, and, and Chalamet could just win the Oscar on the beach. Yeah, it's time. Yeah. Tim, people love Chalamet. You know that, and and uh, they're waiting for him to, to return. Uh, so, And then there's um, this sort of oddly missing uh, slate of films from Focus Features, which haven't really turned up yet, and we don't know what closing night in New York will be, what opening night in Toronto will be. Um, um, that's always a mixed thing. I mean, could it be Denis Arcand's follow-up, uh, the, 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 the end? I think, I think he did the decline of the American empire, and now he's doing the fall of the American empire, which is a... Um, one of the uh, Sony Pictures Classics uh, titles, and they've been a little on the quiet side. What have what have they got up their sleeve? Yeah, we, we'll, we'll wait and see how this stuff plays out. In any case, next week, I'm sure we'll have more festival announcements to dig through, maybe a couple new summer movie season things as that starts to trickle out, but uh, there's certainly much more to dig into before uh, August uh, come, comes into full view and, and we have uh, the fall completely in front of us in all of its details. So until then. Until bye -bye. next week. Bye, Eric.